This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that, that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy's special edition, Justice League, Crisis on Infinite Earths, part one. Fanboy Special Edition Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with the animated brain trust, Paul Montgomery. Hello. And Ryan Haupt. Hello. And we are here to review Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1, the latest film from the DC Universe animated original film line. Paul. If you'll believe it, it's the 11th of these. This is number, we have done 11. 11? Yeah. done 11? At least. At least 11. Yeah, I don't know. It's like. Maybe the 63rd? I don't know. This is the 7th in the Tomorrowverse line. Yes. More importantly, it's, it's part of the continuity of that started with Superman's Man of Tomorrow back in 2020. A lot of films. We've been doing it for 17 years. So spoilers for this film. There's a lot to talk about, so I do want to jump right in. But, you know, normally when we do these reviews, we do the film, and then if there are special edition pieces worth talking about, I usually do that at the end. But I actually want to flip it and start with those because it's somewhat important to look at the film as a whole by looking at these special edition documentaries they had on there. They haven't had any in a while, or at least any that... They usually always had like a featurette about the making of the film and then a featurette about the next film. They haven't the next film featurettes in a long time. I think those are done. But they have two documentaries. One was about sort of the making of the film, The Flash as a character, Matt Bomer, Christ and Affairs. But then the other one was about sort of the planning for this film, which I found really interesting. Because first of all, I don't really pay attention to the news anymore as much as I can. I don't know what's going on very far out. I try to take these things as they come out as a normal non-lunatic person would watching it. <laughs> so first of all, I somehow missed the fact this is a one of three. I thought this was Whoa. a two-parter. This is a three-parter. 
Yeah, I missed that. So this is act one, basically. But like weirdly, this also isn't even kind of like part one because this directly involves stuff from War World, which was the previous one. Well, so here, so that's part of the documentary. So basically, okay. if you believe what they said in the documentary, and it seems to be true, the entire Tomorrowverse was planned from the beginning in terms of they knew all the films they were going to make. They knew it was all going to wrap up with Crisis on Infinite Earths. And so the entire storyline has been seeded through the films. So if you think back, Batman The Long Halloween ended with Flash and Green Arrow showing up at Bruce's door. Oh, yeah. Which is a scene in this film. Justice Society World War II introduced the concept of the multiverse. Right. It was the yeah. second film in the line. And those characters all show up here. Supergirl gets sent off in Legion. That sort of sets her up as a character. And then Warworld ends with that scene where everyone thinks Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman have been killed, but actually they've been zapped by Harbinger to the satellite. So from the very beginning, they've been seeding either characters and or story beats through all these films. And the really interesting thing that they said was, I don't have the exact quote, but it was basically summed up as, we knew it was all going to end with Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I think for sure the Tomorrowverse is over after these three films. But... Is it all over is the question. And look, we've been making this joke for 17 years. How much longer can these go on? And apparently 17 years was the answer. Mm. But this is DC's biggest story they've ever done in comics in terms of superhero stories. And they're doing it in three parts. And they're also adapting Watchmen, which is like the biggest story DC has ever done in any form. Is this how they're wrapping up the entire line of films with their two biggest stories over four films? And is that how it's going to all end? That's my concern at this point. They haven't done Batgirl Year One yet. <laughs> Actually, they had it nearly done, Paul, but they ended up deciding to shelve it for insurance purposes. For tax, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I don't have any insight into this other than a gut feeling and the way they were talking. They were talking in the documentary definitely that this is an ending, this hmm. storyline. And whether or not it's just an ending for the Tomorrowverse, which I think it definitely is because that's how Crisis works, right? It sort of combines all the different multiverses into one new thing. They definitely said they had a Tomorrowverse arc, starting with Superman to ending with Crisis. So I think this is the end of the Tomorrowverse. But the question is, in this new media world, in this new Warner Brothers world, is this the end of these films? We'll find out. But part of me thinks it might be. This is cynical for me, is if I'm writing for or or planning anything for DC stuff, for any Warner Brothers thing, certainly animation. I'm not planning too far ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, I'm not like, I'm not putting, I'm I'm not counting my chickens, you know, like. Absolutely. Then on the other hand, when I think about Crisis on Infinite Earths, I think of that not as an ending, but as a beginning. For sure. But it's also odd that it's, did we say this this is the seventh in the Tomorrowverse? Right. So it'd be seven, eight, nine. Usually you use a crisis to clean things up and like they just started this. This is Yeah, it does feel like this universe is only awful, 3 years old. Awful quick. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I was just trying to sort of gain yeah. insight from the way they talked and I might watch it again to see, but I definitely got the sense that A this is the end of the Tomorrowverse and B it could even be the end of this line of films entirely. But we'll find out. Well, we don't know. We've been saying that for 17 years. Mm-hmm. You know, things are changing rapidly in the world of media and so you never know. Let's get into the film itself though. So this is an adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths, of course, the famous DC comic storyline from 1985-86. The purpose of that 12-issue storyline was to take a convoluted multiverse continuity, smush it all together, create one universe, one continuity, and have DC go from there. Of course, that lasted however long until they added the multiverse back in because everything is old as new again in comics. 
it was a Marv Wolfman, George Perez, Jerry Ordway situation. Jerry Ordway did the inks. It featured many important story beats from DC's history, including the death of Barry Allen and the death of Supergirl. And several legacy heroes were introduced, not just Wally West's Flash, but also a younger female Wildcat. It featured the end of the Earth 1, Earth 2, etc. situation and put the Justice Society into the regular continuity in World War II. It did a lot of things, and it did them very well, in my opinion. It's, it's a seminal DC story. It's one of my favorite comic stories of all time. And so we saw the CW shows do a crisis crossover, which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Just mostly just see a lot of different actors playing the roles again. But, you know, ultimately constrained by the medium and the budgets and the stories they had been telling in those series. At first, when they announced this, I was a little bit bummed because... I thought, well, they're not just going to do a straight-up adaptation of it. Of course they're not. They're going to do it in this world they've created, which is what they're doing. And so I went into this a little bit, not cynical, but just like, all right, well, let's just see what they do. I would have been really excited if they said this is a straight-up adaptation, but it wasn't. That's just fine. I understand. So this is a feature-length film, 93 minutes, written by James Creed, who's done a lot of these films lately, directed by Jeff Wamster, who's directed a lot of the Tomorrowverse films. It seems like they've had yep. a very tight creative team throughout this particular era of films which makes sense that they're all going to be connected in a way yeah he goes back to justice society world war ii so 2021 he was an artist designer on a lot of films before that too yes yeah he's on the team for a while worked on guardians of the galaxy the animated show before that yeah yeah all the voice talent that's been around for these films darren chris is superman Alexandra Daddario as Lois Lane, Jensen Ackles as Batman, but the star of the show is Matt Bomer. This is this is a Flash story, even though the comic itself wasn't a Flash story, even though the Flash is the element most remembered from it. It was a true ensemble piece. It wasn't a Flash-centric story, but since the Flash is what's remembered, and since there was a Flash movie last year, this is a Flash mm-hmm. starring vehicle. So let's just jump in. I've said this before, my Blu-ray player doesn't tell me how far along in the timeline I am, so it's hard for me to, to gauge what percentage of the film is what. That's kind of what the problem Barry was having in the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the first 45 minutes, I was like, this is super fun. Nothing to do with Crisis on Infinite Earths, though. And then it switches over and becomes very much about Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I had a lot of fun watching it. I thought this was really fun. I thought this was super fun. I had a really good time watching it. In fact, I watched it twice. Yeah, this was kind of an interesting one for me to watch because this was the first time that Cal really showed an interest and wanted to watch with me. And so I texted you both a photo of him sort of uh, us lying on the couch together this weekend with his head on my chest. We were watching and, you know, he's at that age. He's two and a half where he kind of recognizes the characters now. So that was really fun. But mm-hmm. um, you can't really follow the plot. And, you know, this is a, a PG-13 <laughs> yeah. movie. So there, there yeah. were parts where it got a little violent and he you know he would say that's too scary for me and so I, yeah. I, there were a lot of pauses and i got i got interrupted a lot but it was really fun for him to be like oh it's batman what's batman gonna do batman's mm-hmm. gonna save the day <laughs> 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 on that level it was a really fun experience for me even though mm-hmm. it maybe made my ability to um, follow everything that was happening in the movie a little little hampered but a, a worthwhile hampering it was it was quite nice to get to watch one of these movies with my kid even if it's not the most suitable one for him <laughs> It's kind of cerebral, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's multiverse stuff, which I mean, kids growing up now are inundated with multiverse stuff. So it's almost weird if they're introduced to media that doesn't have like alternate realities and everything. It, <laughs> right. It's so ubiquitous. Oh, I mean, he already watches. I mean, there are clips from the Spider-Verse movies that, that he'll watch and enjoy. So right, yeah, yeah, he literally is already watching multiverse movies. You know, that's a very good way to get introduced to that stuff. It, they do it very well. Yeah, I was. It's the intensity of this movie. It's like it's deadly serious about 
you know, these waves coming to, you know, crush the various earths and the idea of, okay, we're going to have like a think tank and the best from all the different worlds to come and figure out how to solve this problem. And interesting stretches of this movie where I respected the restraint that they had. There's not banter. It's like silent. It's like when they're building the, the, the towers and going through those things, like there are moments where they could be quipping and they're just not. So they're taking it very seriously. I thought that the writing level was really high. I thought the animation level was higher, a little higher than normal. I thought there was some really nice action bits. There was one bit where in their very big, early in the film, Bruce has to save Superman. He jumps and lands and sort of flips him onto his back. I thought the choreography of that was really good. Like I thought this yeah, was, it was a cool, like, yeah, like acrobatic fireman carry. It was, mm-hmm. I, I caught, I caught that too. I thought the care put into this was really high, which is, again, why I'm suspicious of it being the end. But you guys will like this. On my, on my second viewing, I brought a piece of paper with me, and I tried to keep track of the beats. <laughs> and it very quickly devolved into madness. I really like this, but there's definitely some things that are a little head-scratchy. I thought the... And this all may make sense later. I understand this is part one of three. This is essentially the first act of the story. But I thought jumping around with Barry was a little confusing. I don't yet know... It's early in the story. It's like, it's like a four and a half hour story. We're only an hour and a half into it. But I don't yet know what some of these things mean or why some of these things are happening. So I'm not knocking for that. But I didn't quite understand how Barry's time jumping was working. Yeah. Because it looks like he he starts actively running yes. to get to the different places. But then he doesn't seem to be aware that the jump has happened. So they're kind of trying to do like a Billy Pilgrim, Unstuck in Time, Slaughterhouse-Five thing. But right. through the veil of Flash. But his body doesn't powers. seem to leave because I used to be like, oh, he shows up. Did, yeah. He had a time jump again. It's like, well, did he leave? I guess it's like a visualization of like yeah. his consciousness changing. Conscious mind or like his awareness maybe is a better word for it. It wasn't terrible. Just I just felt myself trying to figure it out. Like, why is this? And I guess it's like it it makes sense for it to be disorienting for the viewer because it's disorienting for him. But yeah, I I felt that as well. It's like, is he actually making a choice to get up and travel to places? Because it feels like, okay, I'm done with these events here. Let me go see what was going on in reverse or forward. And he has one of those things right after the monitor is talking about (laughs) they're not able yeah. Okay. So it wasn't just me. Okay. So there's a part where the, they were talking about, oh, we'll bring some more people from the Legion of Superheroes back from the future to now to the present to help with this problem. And the monitor's are like, yeah, no, we can't do that because we're in this, I don't know, this node or something where yep. you can't do time travel or dimensional travel. And then Barry just Leaves. goes and pieces out time immediately. <laughs> Well, it, it could also mean that his his connection is stronger than whatever else anyone else has, right? So, like, maybe the monitor can't do it, but but the Speed Force can. But I don't know if, it, like, you want to take the time to just be like, but I thought he just said, and <laughs> right, right, you know. right. No, I definitely saw that too. So let me just read you this crazy list, okay, <laughs> of what happened in this movie. In case someone's listening to this who hasn't seen the film, so we open with the Flash, Barry Allen. We open with him time hopping. Some of these things I don't even remember. So so then from the time hopping, we he meets Iris for the first time, but he's already met her. It's time hopping. So then he goes to a fight with Amazo, with Superman and Green Arrow. And they have to bring Superman to Batman's house to heal him from the fight with Amazo because he got really fucked up. And that was a flashback to the other film, to the Long Halloween film. Right. And then through that, they decide there are some threats bigger than us. So let's form the Justice League. And that's when they add John Jones. They add Vixen. They get turned down by Hal Jordan, which I thought, Paul would probably enjoy that moment. Mm-hmm. And then at the press conference to, uh, well, first, sorry, first he time jumps to Earth 3, where the crime syndicate is in charge, and it's very confusing and has a whole adventure there. 
Then he time jumps back to the press conference announcing the Justice League, and they end up fighting Amazo again, who's controlled by Lex Luthor. And then I have an arrow over to Earth 3, so I guess he goes back to Earth 3 again. This second Amazo fight with the Lex Luthor robot and Zachary Quinto was when Cal was out. That was when it got too scary. So that's yeah. too, that's too yeah. scary for me. So I think he yeah. comes back to Earth 3 in that fight. And then at the end of that, the Justice League is really forming because forming was a, it was just a ruse to call out Lex Luthor. It was, that was, I thought, a necessary bit. And then we learn Amazo's origin in the, was that in the future or was it the present? It was another time jump. We figured out that Ivo made Amazo and all how Lex Luthor corrupted him, et cetera, et cetera. And then we jump into the future, find old Barry and old Iris who are up to something. Old Barry's costume is way too big now. He still looks damn good in it. The way his costume works in the comics, that shouldn't happen. Yeah, it shouldn't happen at all. It should stretch to fit his body. And then he time jumps to his wedding day where he knows it's all going to go sideways. Harbinger shows up, takes Barry and... John Stewart and Vixen and Green Arrow to the satellite where she's already rescued from War World, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And that's when the heroes all gather in the satellite. And I will say this, sparse. It's a sparse gathering of heroes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They should have perhaps designed a smaller satellite mm-hmm. in the comic itself, which I leafed through after the movie because I haven't read it in so long. Just an awesome double page spread that Perez did. All right, it's it's Perez. That's his bread and butter. Is like the huge crowd scene. There's so many heroes they can't even move. Right, and this one is yeah. like they're all in COVID protocols. They're all about six feet apart. <laughs> they're all by themselves. And I, I do want to get back to that in a minute. Okay, there's a lot of stuff. Then Earth Three is destroyed by the antimatter wave, which is and a whole long sequence. Rebar. The heroes then work together. Yeah, did you note the rebar, Connor? Well, there was a lot happening. He blanked um, it out. <laughs> Then the heroes work together to build some towers. That that was not in the comic. I didn't understand how those were going to work. Put towers in all the different Earths that would somehow stop the antimatter wave. Like a metronome or, or, not, or a tuning fork. Tuning fork yeah, it was sorry. like a tuning fork. So if, if one is if they can get one with enough energy in it so that it vibrates at the frequency, it will prompt all the others to vibrate. Which is a neat idea. I don't know. It sounds cool. Yeah, I agree, actually. And then in the future, future old Flash and Amazo's severed head are working together on the cosmic treadmill for some reason we don't know yet. I like that stuff. No, I'm not saying it's bad. These are the notes I was trying to take feverishly. I thought old Barry and old Iris and Amazo head were trying to finish one of the towers. Yes. So that's what's going on. I was having a hard time with the towers. Okay, so they don't have enough time to finish the tower. Right, the wave. And so they take the tower to the future or they continue working on the tower into the future? That was unclear to me. It's a cool idea, and it's him and Iris, and they, you know, grow old together and have this project that they work on. They did say the documentary they wanted, so I think this implies Flash is going to die. Obviously, it's the crisis of Earth, but they wanted to give Barry his happy ending and have him have a life with Iris, and I guess still die as an old man, which is basically what they did in the CW version. So it's kind of a cop out because the tragedy is he dies. So if it's like, well, we'll let him live his whole life and then die as a very old man. He's not quite as tragic as him sacrificing himself. I mean, unless this was Inception and he's not really an old man, he wakes up as Leonardo DiCaprio. Possibly. Mm. It's also like it's a it's heroic. It's, you know, he gets to ha- it, I think what they're going for is this is now a flash story versus an ensemble story because I think yes, in, totally in a is. comic you can switch perspectives from like issue to issue, like chapter to chapter, yeah. and that works. And so you, you can shift around and you can do that in a novel too, obviously. But with like a movie, I think, you know, centering it on Barry is, I think, a smart choice and making it a love story is pretty cool. I think Matt Bomer is terrific. I think he's- Yeah, I think he was really good. 
a really lived-in performance. They showed some video of him. He's very physical in his performance. He's not just sitting there reading a script. He's actually acting it out. Mm-hmm. I like his voice anyway, but I think he's a really good Barry. And I think his performance with Iris is strong. I mean, the love story is really good. I think they're cute together. But like, it's like, okay, well, if you kill him when he's 80, it's not so, you know, it's, uh, all right, fine. Well, it's like he's 80. But to us, though, like, you know, all that time hasn't passed, you know, right. like we're jumping around in time. So oh, we should mention, it, like, sorry, I didn't write it down. I guess I just got okay. tired of writing. It ends kind of with the classic scene in Crisis is when Barry starts appearing to people as he's dying. Yeah. In the comic. And so here he, I don't know if it's because he's dying, but he starts appearing to himself. He appears at the Warlord and he appears at a bunch of places that I think we've seen in the films prior. Yes. That was, yeah, that scene in War World. But like, I don't think we saw him as him. I think we saw him as like Harbinger or. I don't, it or didn't, it we didn't saw it, him as like you couldn't identify who it was. Like maybe that was it. I don't remember. I don't know. It, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a. I don't know. For lack of a better comparison, like, like something you see on Lost, where like you, you see something out of continuity, right? And then it has more resonance later on, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that was him all this time. Or like, so that's that's what it felt like. I apologize. I haven't revisited War World since we saw no, it. No, no, I haven't either. <laughs> I thought you were gonna apologize for not having revisited Lost. I was like, it's okay, Paul. No, no. I think a lot of people who intended no, to revisit no, 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 yeah, Lost yeah, gave yeah, up yeah. on that goal after the finale. It did sour me having to go back to War World because we did not like that movie at all. <laughs> so, I mean, look, would I have loved a faithful adaptation of the story? Absolutely. But they're not going to do that. So in lieu of that, I think they did a very good job here of taking this world they've created and fitting Crisis into it. Now, the real big difference between this world and the comic world at the time was, you know, the comic world had been going on since the Silver Age for about 30 years. And here, it's still relatively new in the careers of all these characters, right? So we're, we, they just form a Justice League when this happens. So they're still, like, young. There's no sidekicks. We meet Dick Grayson. First of all, let's just give it up for the Tomorrowverse. There's no Damien in this Tomorrowverse. It's only Dick <laughs> you Grayson. You were nervous when they opened the door and the, the kid, the, you were nervous when you saw the costume design. He was scowling. I was like, oh, fuck, it's Damien. And they're like, no, nope, <laughs> this is Dick Grayson. And I was like, oh, oh. And then we see him later on as the adult Robin, and I have all notes on all those characters. But so the difference is the world isn't ending after they've been together for a while. The world is ending as they're just sort of starting out. And so that's a different feeling. We haven't mentioned yet that, so there's several characters in the comic that are really important. One is Harbinger, one is Psycho Pirate, and one is Pariah. That's putting aside the the Monitor characters. Psycho Pirate, wish he had the full face mask, but I think him and Question together would have been probably too many blank faces. Hmm. Constantine from the old continuity is Pariah, which I didn't pick up on until he did the magic spell for some reason. I recognize the voice. Which is interesting, and I'm still grappling with how I feel about that. And then the one I really don't like is making Harbinger Supergirl, which I just think is unnecessary, but I guess it's just a way of consolidating two characters into one and saving That's, money. Yeah, what they're going for. I was like, oh. I think it's also just for a movie you kind of want to truncated as much as you can and what do we think about constantine i i still think his voice is so campy and it (laughs) it's like party city constantine for me i don't know i have not been a big fan of ever since they brought him into the dc universe like proper with the constantine book the two vertigo not vertigo there's no vertigo the two side superior ones been terrific josh full approval okay yeah, they're old school ones. But how do we feel about them bringing in the element of the old continuity? And what does that mean for the ending of this one, if it happens? I mean, if it's very comic booky. I think it's more of an Easter egg than anything else. I don't know that it has actual consequences. In the comics, Pariah was like the reason why it all happened. He accidentally unleashed the antimatter wave. 
And so mm-hmm. his punishment was he had to observe all the deaths, mm-hmm. watch it all happen and be and right, right, right. to stop it. That doesn't seem to be what they're doing here, but they, we don't really know what they're doing here with Constantine. He's all raggedy. He looks not like Constantine. He doesn't look like Pariah either. Given the way that they've been seeding stuff, I guess, like, and we're, we're seeing like the going to Wayne Manor and meeting mm-hmm. up there, like having, I guess there probably is then an end game with seeing more of what Hellblazer or what Hellblazer, what Constantine did. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have more of a role to play. Yeah, you're right. Especially since he's active. Like he, at one point, he right. uses his magic to help, which violates the rules of prey, but it doesn't matter. Ryan, how are you feeling about it as sort of a adaptation of Crisis as a whole? I've never read Crisis. You've never read it? Yeah. Because that was my question. I was going to say, are you guys Crisis fans? If you've never read it, Ryan, Paul? I've uh, read parts of it. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I've never liked big multiverse I stories it just it's not my my bag i know that i should read it as like a history thing but i'm significantly older so when i was a kid reading comics in the 80s i was nine when crisis came out mm. and you know reading comics but you know when i really started reading them sort of like a lot like going to the store and buying them regularly crisis had just finished so like that's when superman got rebooted it's when wally west got rebooted it's when justice league came out the keith giffen years and I've read a lot of the stuff that came out right afterwards. So I've like read the John Byrne Superman right. reboot, and you know, I've read the Giffen. Right. Yeah. So Same. Crisis that hung over all the DC books, right? Like they were, they would still refer to it, and it would be like an editor's notes. And so as a kid, I'm like, oh, what was a story that all these things happened? And so it was like a big deal. Like the ideal thing you want as a comic publisher is to have a reader be like, oh, what is this thing? I got to find it and buy it and read it. And so you know, this is back when I was a kid and didn't have a job. I didn't have a salary, and back issues are expensive. It took me, I think, through high Everything school, was I finally tone. collected all the issues from back issues because some of them, were, like eight, where Flash dies, was super expensive. Mm. And now you have a job and you have some disposable income, and back issues have never been easier to get. But it's time. It's just like Barry. It's the it's damn irony of it all. It's just like Barry. I own Crisis in three formats. I own it in issues, in hardcover, and in absolute edition. <laughs> I think I've always thought of Crisis as like the Silmarillion. <laughs> Like, it's like, I appreciate that it's there, but it's just like, and I'm also, I'm not like a plot reader mm-hmm. and crisis feels very plot oriented to me. Yeah. So I, that, I mean, there's, it's a cast of thousands and it's an impressive piece of work. They pull it off. Mm-hmm. It is still one of the best events that's ever happened. They pull it off. It does what it's supposed to do. It has stakes. It has really big emotional beats. It really does devastate everybody, but it also leads to a rebirth. Anyway, the point is, as a kid, it was like this thing that was so like this big deal that was this happened right before I really started reading. That was this like, you know, mythical story that I had to sort of piece together. I would buy an issue and read it. And then I'd buy another issue and read it. I'd buy number seven and read that. Then I'd buy number two and read that. Then I'd buy number 11 and read that. And try to piece Just together like what happened. Right. This is clearly somebody who worked on this movie had that same experience and they're incorporating it into the filmmaking. And so I'm a huge fan of it. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. But I also understand it's a really hard thing to adapt. And I think they're doing a good job of it so far. You know, they have to streamline it, obviously. Let's talk about the heroes gathering and the satellite, the sparsely attended hero party. It does feel sparse, yes. It's a shame. So there's a lot going on in the background. We do meet some people. We'll talk about them in a second. But I got the sense that the Batgirl is the Timverse Batgirl. From the way they drew her, she has sort of that Timverse hourglass shape. And she was always sort of yeah. standing at that three-quarter pose. And she, at one point, she had her hand on her hip, like all the Timverse poses. Mm-hmm. I got that sense. The question seemed to be with the question from the question short. At least it's the same voice actor. Let's talk about Robin. So we meet old Robin, older Robin. In the comic, he has great temples, but he's not that quite that old here. I wish they'd give him the silly costume. I really do. Little yellow legs, but that's just me. I just wish that ever since 
they changed voice directors and Andrea Romano retired, that the actors doing Batman would turn it down by 20%. Just give him some shading in the voice characterization. He's so robotic. He was robotic in the last continuity. He's robotic in this one. So it's okay when he's on the field, but like in these moments where he meets Robin, he meets his daughter, Helena Wayne, Huntress, there's no shading. There's no acting and there's no emotion in the performance at all. I agree. And it's kind of disappointing. Yeah. If at any moment he's going to crack, it's this one. Yeah. And he doesn't. He just plays it straight. You are my daughter. It's like, oh no. Yeah. It's unfortunate that, you know, you point out that it's like if any time he was going to be emotional, it would be here. You're right. And you think of historically, you're not a fan, but in Mask of the Phantasm, Mm -hmm. you have that great performance. Well, Kevin, yeah. Yeah. With Conroy and like, you know, him at the grave of his parents and saying, I never, I didn't expect to be happy. And it's so different from how he plays him elsewhere. But like, it's within that range. It's like, it feels. I have to blame the directors. I have to, because these are actors. They know how to do this. They don't feel like they're in the same room or like, you know, they, you know. Oh, they're definitely not. At least in the video. Yeah. But it's just that they have to be directed to say, no, you can be a human as well as right. being Batman. Like, it just started with that other continuity, the, second, the last one. Batman's performances from different actors were much more emotional or actorly before that. Mm-hmm. But now the last two has just been like, read him as straight and as flat as possible. Even there's a scene in this one when Batman's flying around in the jet and they're trying to save the day and he, he thinks he's going to die, so he calls up Robin and he calls up Helena. Again, totally flat, emotionless mm-hmm. performance. This is a bummer. Yeah, that was sort of my big note is like with the big ensemble stuff, I think like the smaller moments, like the stuff with Flash and Iris, that worked better. Yep. Although I didn't necessarily buy the actress, you know, as older Iris. Like she no, was kind of neither the one. Same didn't, thing. They didn't change their voices at all. Which is like probably a direction, like probably a choice that they said, okay, don't do your old lady voice, like just do it normal. But the way they were designed, they were like, right. they, they looked significantly old. And it was like, I, like I'd like to see a little bit of, you know, they, they could at least run there. a filter through it, give them a little more bass in their voice. Something yeah, like. something like that. Like there's stuff like I, I know there was a, a moment where um where Ted Cord is talking. Yeah. And I was like, where is that performance coming from? It's like you're doing like an old time radio spot for something. It, I think they were actually supposed to be coming from the Charlton he, comics. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. He said that was the question from his world. That if that question was the one from the crazy animated one, then that would make sense that Blue Beetle would also be sort of over the top. That didn't bother me as much. I like the question. I li- I, although I thought, it was, I thought it was Jeffrey Combs, but apparently it's David Kay. Yeah, from the short. Yeah. Um, but I thought he was good. Superman... I wrote young old Superman because Superman meets an older version of himself from another world, but it's not the comic with the like gray temples. It's just a slightly older. Yeah. It's like this one's six months older than <laughs> they added a few lines to his face. So it made it hard to like, which one am I looking at? When they talked about it, it made it sound like the Superman is so old. Most of the humans he knew when yes. he was a young man have died of old age. Yeah. Lois died, but then also wonder woman will outlive him. Which is kind of an interesting dynamic. Like, oh, I wish that wave wasn't coming so we could, you know, <laughs> expand well, on the, this some more because that's kind of interesting. There's also a callback because earlier on when Superman's hurt and they bring him to the Batcave to heal him, Batman says, I don't think he can die. And then later on we right. find out he can die, which is just a, like a minor callback, which I noticed my second viewing. Just give him the great temples. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It was just weird. I didn't realize that. So, wait, okay. So, when the older Superman tells the younger Superman, we can die. Yeah. Does that mean that he has? I don't know. Like he went through Doomsday? He died and came back, and so he knows that they can die. Maybe. Or maybe he just knows he's dying. But I mean, how do you, well, yeah. Or maybe that means he's going to die. I don't know. He would have a unique perspective if he had died already. He could say, yep, we can die. (laughs) 
I think they gave a plausible reasoning for him and Wonder Woman to be together for that couple. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, we're the only ones left who've gone through all this together. We were friends for so long. And then we sort of just merged into this romance. Like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we just, you know, we're both hot and powerful. It was more like, we've gone through centuries of this stuff together. All of our friends are dead. All of our loved ones are dead. Lois is dead. Steve's dead. So, like, they're the only ones left. They've been through it all. They've been through it, everything together. It made sense to me. I was like, oh, okay, I can buy that. Here's a question. Okay, so I don't know how recently you read Crisis. Not super recently. I flipped through it. Is there a moment where Dr. Light goes through a thing? and A wardrobe a, change? A wardrobe changing. The new device? Dr. Light does debut in the story, but I don't believe there's a machine that gives her a costume. That was a little strange. That was a weird scene. I was like, uh, that's weird, but also I could see that being in a comic book. <laughs> I just, there were things like that that made me think, what is this bringing to the story? And again, since we're not seeing the whole thing, maybe it will. Hmm. But what does her scene bring to the character and or the story yeah. other than she's new? They feel like they're setting her up. She's a major part of the story of the comic. Right. Or it could just be like, we're paying lip service to the fact that she's important in the comic. So that could be we're true too. going to feature her here. Or if, the, I mean, if there are two more of these, then they could certainly give her more stuff to do. It's interesting. So we've had two. We had the Long Halloween Part One and Two. We had the Dark Knight Returns Part One and Two. We had the Death of Superman. And Death of Superman, Superman and Reign of Superman. But we haven't really. This is a lot of time to dig into this story. This is a lot mm-hmm. of minutes that are going to really get to flesh this out. So I'm really kind of interested to see what happens here. And they cover a lot of ground this installment. So like they could cram a lot into two and three. Not enough ground to lay out who the bad guy is. <laughs> <No. laughs> mm. Bad guy's like, anti-matter. You're not even going to show the anti-monitor? Just show him? Like Thanos waiting to show up? Like, God. Batman thinks that it's the waves themselves. Right. Well, he's always hated the ocean. I, I, like, I like how he's like, well, the only solution to this is that the waves must have learned that we're trying to stop them. <laughs> right. That's the only one he could think of. And I like how the monitor's like, well, Batman, no. Um, <laughs> That was actually my Ryan Science nitpick time. Play the theme, Connor. It's Ryan Science nitpick corner. The only science nitpick I had, because Dr. Light said like, oh, if it's a wave of antimatter, we're screwed. Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing we can do. And I was like, yep, that's correct. So the only science nitpick I had was when they were talking about Aquaman's Atlantean kingdom having wave shields and how those could be retrofitted or or co-opted in some way to to stop the antimatter waves. If Atlantis is at the bottom of the ocean, there are no waves at the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) It is a waveless environment. If the shields are made of matter, does how does that stop the antimatter wave? Isn't it? Yeah, I thought, like, no. Okay. Just, I was just annoyed by the concept of waves at the bottom of the ocean. There are no waves down there. Have you ever been to the bottom of the ocean? You don't know that. There's some very strong science to back up the lack of waves at the bottom of the ocean. At the top, whole different story. These sentient waves may just wait for you guys to leave and then, and then get to get. It's just funny seeing doing. Batman in that position where he's the one who like had the stupid idea. <laughs> like, well, let the adults talk, Batman. I just thought it was fun. Did you guys have fun watching it? I thought it was fun. fun. Yeah, I had fun. But like the things that that stood out as being sort of stilted did bother me. I felt like the dialogue, the way it was edited together was stilted in a way where like I almost felt that when two characters were talking, there was an overlong gap between one character saying something and the next character saying their line in a way where it happened often enough. I was like, this is consistent in a way that it feels just like stilted. It didn't feel like human conversation like we're having now. There were definitely things that bugged me. and We've we've mentioned some of them, but I found myself just having a good time being impressed with the undertaking. 
And that was after the first half where I was like, this movie has nothing to do with Crisis on Infinite Earths, but I'm having a good time watching it. They can call it whatever they want, though. It's not Crisis. So then it becomes much more crisis in the middle. But I just thought it was really fun. I, th- I was impressed with the way they weaved it all together. The animation was strong. Animation was strong. I, I laughed. I think the funniest moment for me was when Ultraman saves the building that's starting to fall. Yes. Oh, and that was really it, good. And then that just lets really it fall good. the other direction because he just didn't want it to hit his headquarters. Like, he didn't care that the building was coming down. He just yeah, didn't want it. That was a really great comedic beat. It was the buildings are collapsing. It's going to fall on the headquarters. So he catches it. And the guy in the building is like, Looks relieved. Yeah. <laughs> that he's been saved by Ultraman and Ultraman pushes the building upright. And the guy literally has to look at his face for a minute like, I can't believe it. And he just sort of taps it the other way. And I just, <laughs> I laughed on the couch hardly because I thought the acting in the animation was so strong. And it was all like Paul said earlier. It was a silent comedic. Uh-huh. I thought there's some really strong bits in this. I'm really impressed. I think if people can totally watch this movie without having seen any other ones. Yeah. Agreed. You can have no context or anything other than knowing anything about DC Universe. And it's fun. Can they maintain over three films? We'll see. But right now, I think it's impressive what they've pulled off here. And it's not perfect by any means. How do you think the ending plays in a post-Infinity War world? Hmm. What do you mean? You have characters dissolving on screen. Oh, right, right, right. Because in the future, they're... I didn't even think of that, to be honest with you. But okay. you're right. You're right. They could have had a different visual way to show them dying in the future than... Than having them dissolve. You're, you're totally dusted. Right. I didn't even think of it. I don't know why. I guess I was just so into it at that point. It was just all the future characters, right? It was Brainiac and Supergirl and who was the Legionnaire that was there? Dawnstar. Dawnstar, right? That was them? That's what I said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter if, you know, Crisis did that stuff first. Right. Yes, the Zeitgeist has it. Yeah, I The Zeitgeist, you. it's, you know, Infinity War has sort of like claimed that as its own. I really want... In the next installment, you know, they have to introduce the Anti-Monitor. I'd like to see them battle the Shadow Demons. Because to me, as a, as a kid, those things are so scary. Because if they touched you, you died. And that's how a lot of the heroes ended up dying. And then, of course, there's the big battle at the end with Anti-Monitor on his sort of satellite asteroid island. That's where Supergirl dies. It'll be interesting to see how they handle big deaths. They're going to have to. The Flash, in the comics, he's kidnapped and basically forced to run on this treadmill to power the Anti-Monitor's machines in the cw crossover it was similar to that but then spoilers if you haven't watched that that was like 10 years like i'll say 10 years ago it was however many years ago instead of barry allen dying from the cw the barry allen from the cbs world takes his place and dies but it's sort of similar i'll be curious to see because it seems like here he's basically sacrificing himself in, mm-hmm. in a proactive way to power this tower instead of being basically being run to death by anti-monitor which makes it a murder rather than a sacrifice would you make all three installments of this flash centric oh would you make it so that he is the perspective or would you say like oh this is more superman story this one's interesting more i story. thought of that as a possibility that would be interesting. Because in a way, it feels like when you get to the end of this, you're like, well, I mean, I know that there's more that you could do with The Flash, but it almost feels like a complete arc for him. Let me give you my thoughts on that. Number one, if this is an end to Tomorrowverse, it should be that way. Then number two, it does feel like they're setting up a Superman-centric one. First of all, if they're going to kill Supergirl, they have to have it sort of be Superman-centric. And second of all, they did spend an inordinate amount of time with the two Supermen together. So... I could see a third installment or whenever they kill Supergirl being this. I could see that. I actually would be really impressed. Or could you see, could you see it being like, I could almost see it being a Superman Batman story for the right. second one. And then you could do like Constantine for the third one. You know, I think you're onto something here because 
as much as I really love The Flash, I do. As much as I really love Matt Bomer's performance as The Flash, I do. I don't know if I want three movies of him running on yeah. the treadmill, him talk, you know, like this I mean, he over could be and doing and that, and you would see that stuff, but like you just shift the perspective. Sure, he could still pop up, but now we're focused mostly on Clark or yeah. we're mostly on Bruce or I love it. It's kind of what they did in the World movie. So they've pioneered the concept at least. That's true as well. Once. I love this, Paul. I love this. Now to the point cool. where if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> But you're right. No, because the story's got to shift. I mean, I guess they could just leave it. But it's a lot of running. It just seems like a lot to do like a, a Flash trilogy. Trilogy. You know, even if it is an ensemble. It's called with Justice League, lead, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. In the very long and clunky title, it's Justice League colon Crisis on Infinite Earths dash part one. If it wasn't, then they could just call it The Flash Crisis on Infinite Earths. I heard because of Tom Cruise's schedule, they're actually going to take away the part right. one that might in between be. movies. <laughs> well, you know, the strike really slowed it down. I think you're on something, Paul, for, for a variety of reasons. One, the title is also a big indicator. It might not just be a Flash story. So that's interesting. I think it's wild. So I was in Target last month, I think it was, and there's a big old anti-monitor action figure in Target. I've seen those. They're cool. You're used to seeing that stuff at like conventions and things, but when you see it prominently displayed. Right. I mean, I know it's like we're through the looking glass on this stuff, but it's still kind of cool. No, I think it's a cool figure. If I was a kid and that came out, yeah, like I wouldn't even care, like the context of it is just a cool thing. It's, it's like, a cool figure. I love big figures. Yeah. I love big contextual sized figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. They haven't announced the release date of the next one or the one after or, or Watchmen for that matter. But if they're banging out four movies this year, I got to imagine we're going to get one's quarter. Any other like big moments that you think need to be in an adaptation with this title? Mm-hmm. Like you got to see Superman holding Supergirl. Yeah, I think that's, a, I mean, those are the iconic moments from Crisis, right? It's Flash crumbling into dust and Supergirl in Superman's arms. I like the appearance of the Justice Society in here. I like that they're old. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that that means we're going to see, oh, well, I guess it was Wildcat there. We saw Our Man. We saw Black Canary. We saw Jay Garrick. Although Jay Garrick in the background, you think in a Flash story, he, he would get some play, but no. In the comic, Wildcat dies. And so that's when Yolanda takes over. So I don't know if they're going to some sort of handover in that scenario. You know, there's just a lot of moments the stuff that sticks with me is a lot of moments of them fighting to the end and then they just can't do it and they sort of die in each other's arms, you know, because they're overwhelmed by the shadow creatures. It's just, you're hoping for those kind of big emotional beats if this is the end of that too, you know? I mean, it's probably good that this is coming out during a presidential election year then, right? <laughs> well, what if there's no anti-monitor? Just kind of like, like they did in the, in the second Fantastic Four movie where like there really isn't Galactus, it's just a cloud. Galactus-shaped cloud. I think that would be Bad. I think it'd be I bad, think, Paul. That'd be bad. What yeah. if it's just the monitor and you give him a heel turn, you know? I think the idea of matter versus antimatter kind of necessitates a monitor and what? anti-monitor. What if at the very end, the anti-monitor like armor suit or whatever just like falls apart and then you see coming out of it is just a, another wave and Batman's like, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> or it was the no waves. one bothered to look behind the anti-monitor where he has a second face on the back of his head. That's the anti-monitor's head. And so he just turns around and he's evil and he turns back around and he's good. It's just no matter. It's just whatever way he's facing the heroes. <laughs> That's a very 80s idea. Yes, it is. Well, it'd be appropriate. I think you got to have the anti-monitor. I think you got to have the deaths. I think the inclusion of Constantine here as pariah means there's a wild card at play, I think. And I'm really curious now, Paul, your idea of shifting perspectives on the leads in these films. They literally have told us nothing. That's the other thing why I'm a little suspicious as this might be the end is that they haven't really given us much information about any of these other films or when they're coming Mm -hmm. out or anything like that so we don't know 
Can we talk Watchmen just real quickly? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna do this Watchmen. Oh, I think, wait. Oh, yeah. I just I just noticed. I, I keep going back and watching the you know some of the shots of the, the sparsely populated Watchtower. Yep. I think I just realized that the Aqualad in those scenes because they show Aqualad again in one of the the wrap up scenes during the finale. Right. So I think the Aqualad in those scenes is the one from Young Justice. Yes, I think they're playing around with putting some Easter eggs in the background. We see a more comic appropriate Aqualad on Aquaman's planet. We see like a Mira and, and, and a Garth from sort of a Silver Agey version mushed up with the hook-handed Aquaman. But the, I think they're allowing the background. That's why I think there's the Timverse Batgirls back there. And I think there's other things. There's the old man, Captain Marvel. And what was it? What, what's, is, I'm blanking on the name. The purple-suited Fantastic Four analog. The Challenges of the Unknown. Challenges of the Unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the comics, they bring in Sergeant Rock and the and the, the Howling Commandos. Howling Commandos. No, that's that's Nick. No, Fury. no, it's Nick Fury. Sergeant, Sergeant Rock and then Easy Company. They they bring Easy. them in, so they're all confused about what's going on in, on the satellite. But you know, they could have more fun like that. You know, but I get it. I quite enjoyed seeing the crime syndicate die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. rebar right to the. That was Stardom. also in the book. It was the first sort of major death. We see like some planets die, but the first time we see like characters that we know in the comics die, it's the crime syndicate. Those scenes were tricky for me early in the movie when Kyle was still watching with me right. because he would see Ultraman and we'd go like, what's Superman going to do? I was like, well, buddy, <laughs> hang on. That's not Superman. I know this is how it is in the comics, but it's presumptive to let like the youngest Flash to, who happens to be able to slip between the un- Earths get to name them all. Like, yep, you're definitely Earth One. We didn't have another designation for that <laughs> set up beforehand. <laughs> It's funny, if, when you look back at the comics, the Crab Syndicate, a lot of the designs are sort of really close, but not Owlman, who's nope. <laughs> who's wearing like an owl head on his head, not a uh, cool I just love so. how evil they are. Yeah. And how the world makes no sense, but I go it's with like it. Just, yeah, it's like just short of like Legion of Doom. Like they're like, they're the crime syndicate. Right. They're just so like mustache twirling evil. It's like if you think for one second about how that world actually functions, it all falls apart, but that's right. just like Bizarro World or anything else. You just have mm-hmm. to go with it. Right, like they're supposed to have like administrative staff to help handle the bureaucracy that they're supposedly in charge of that necessitates having office buildings filled with right. workers. Why are you still going to a job in which your world is being controlled by an evil Justice League? <laughs> That's why, like, even on the Superman the Animated Series, the, the like, Superman very easily slips into fascism when he's like, you know, taking control of things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's still well-intentioned. Right. But he's just stepped over a line. Like, that's scarier than Ultraman. Oh, yeah, the Justice Lords. It definitely felt pointed to have the question character being the most anti-fascist voice in the room. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting characterization for that guy. Yeah, he's usually on the other side of things. Yeah. But I, I still love him, though. And I think that voice is brilliant for him. And I was happy whenever he came on to poke at anybody on the screen. We're, we're kind of all over the map in this because the movie's kind of all over the map. But I think in a way that really works for the story. Yeah. It's a bit whiplash-inducing at times and how often the Flash just sort of wakes up in some other timeline. But it's incredibly fun. I really am excited now for the, the rest of them to come out. And I hope people check this out. And I'm very curious also to see if this is the end so we'll see. I'm excited. We don't know when the next one's coming out. It'll be, my guess is May-ish, May-June. My guess is Watchmen comes out at the end of the year. and Well, who knows? I'm just guessing. I don't know anything. I'm a little bummed. I think I would be more excited for the, the next movie in the series if I at least had a sense of when it was coming out to have no date announced when the first one drops to me. They must have been working on all these at the same time. Yeah, I think unless they don't know and they're like behind, be like, you know, part one. January, part two, June, part three. Actually, what I would do, I would, I would do part one and two, and then a big cliffhanger, then do Watchmen, and then end on Crisis. That's what I would do if I was in charge. It's kind of neat. 
it's neat make idea. people wait. And then also, if it is the end of the things, I would end on Crisis and not Watchmen, but we'll see. So my quick Watchmen question. Yes. Okay. How close of an adaptation do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be a, as close to one-to-one? I think or do it's you hard think to know because, to... A, I don't think you can do one-to-one in a 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. I think just, there's just too much. I mean, Zack Snyder basically did one-to-one and it was like two and a half hours. I guess I would say, do you think it's going to be a reduced version or do you think they're going to take like a big swing difference from the original the way, well, I don't, I guess they didn't do that with Long Halloween. Gotham by Gaslight has a totally different killer. Paul, I don't know the answer because I need more information. Yeah. If they say the runtime's two hours, then I'm saying that they're going to do a straight adaptation. If it's 90 minutes, they're going to have to cut something. I say take a big swing, do something totally different, the way that the HBO show did. Yeah, I mean, it really depends. I Make don't know. everyone don't pirates. Know. <laughs> do it all as pirates? Uh, yeah. Just do the pirate parts? Wait, but didn't, didn't we it. make a joke last time that the pirates part should be live action? If this is the yes, animated? Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. Yes, that's cool. It was a good joke, and I think that's an idea. I don't know. I'm excited for all these films now. I was apprehensive, but now I'm excited. So that's cool. Let's do ratings on Justice League Crisis and Infinite Earths Part 1. Oh, boy. It's a difficult rate, I think, because it's, it's not a full story. It's just a chapter of a story. Ryan, you go first. I think I'm somewhere in between a 3.75 and a 4, but I'm not going to lock it in until I hear from you two. Oh. I reserve the right to lock it in. I'm going to go 4.25. Okay. I'll go 3.5. I think I like it more than I did. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four. I'm gonna go four. I watched it twice. That's impressive. I think because of my watching experience with the kid distracting me and stuff like that, I, yeah. I will probably need to watch this again before I watch the next one. But I'll probably wait until much closer to the next. Yeah, one's and release. that's actually something I did think about too. So since these are continuing, I might throw it on again right before because there's a lot of nuance here. Yeah, I'm gonna George R. R. Martin this where I'm not <laughs> doing a reread of those books until we have a release date for the next one. So if if uh, Warner Brothers Animation takes ten years to get the next one out, I will. You're just making me think back to the more innocent days of superhero movies when, like, in 2013, like before Winter Soldier came out, whatever year that was, I watched all the Marvel movies leading up to it, and you right. couldn't even physically do that now. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I keep hearing from friends of mine is Disney Plus has a playlist where you watch all the MCU movies in chronological order that they happened in universe. And obviously this excludes the TV shows and a bunch of other stuff. But I don't know that that makes them make any more sense or fit together better. But it's an interesting, it's interesting that's the the way they're pushing. earlier, I guess. Yeah, and like it puts Captain Marvel in the, you know, in the the right sequence in the 90s or whatever. All right, so we'll be back. The animation brain trust that is whenever they announce or whenever they release part two. We may or may not do Invincible. I think that's Return now. They didn't put them oh, all has? out. I think it has come. I don't know. Much like Crisis and Infinite Earths, I believe Invincible Season 2 is happening in three batches. Yeah, that seems unlikely then. Um, we, just, man, just is. It just, just seems unlikely. But we'll see. Maybe we will. But we'll definitely be back for Part 2 of Crisis and Infinite Earths. And until then, you can always listen to the Pick League podcast in which myself, my partner Josh Flanagan, sometimes Ryan Haupt, occasionally Paul Montgomery, occasionally other people will talk about the week's new comic books. It's over at iFanboy.com. You can find our other shows there, our Talksplode interview show, our Booksplode book review show, our Mediasplode non-comics media review show. It's all over there at iFanboy.com. The whole suite of podcasts are found there. Thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. I'm Ryan. Don't mind, but you better promise me I'll be back.